Just a minute. I'm coming. FBI, open up! Just a minute. Hello, everybody. This is Legal Man. Welcome to the show. It's going to be a good episode. I'm going to take a small side trip during this Spooner episode of A Letter to Grover Cleveland essay and cover the Interstate Commerce Clause and really show people the nature of how insane it is and how there's no possible way this system could have ever been agreed to or could ever be anything but an insane tyranny. And for people who don't know me, I'm a lawyer. I've practiced for more than 30 years. I'm America's most trusted and beloved lawyer because I tell them the truth. And the truth is I was a constitutional conservative for years and years and years. I believed it all. I believed all the freedom-making, freedom-machine, brilliance of the founders crap get back to the Constitution nonsense they spew. And then about 25 years ago, I got the Internet. And in fairly short order, I put the pieces together and figured out it's all a scam. It's a con. It's a grift to keep you on a tax-paying plantation. And when I figured that out, I became self-certified as a master practitioner. I've also given myself a Lifetime Achievement Award for all the great work I've done here on this podcast, explaining it to people. And I recently awarded myself the Presidential Medal of Freedom for the fantastic acting job I did in Jones Plantation. People need to go buy that movie, jonesplantationfilm.com. Fantastic message. And I like having these fake awards and phony baloney credentials and stuff like that because credentialing is how they control people's minds. They make sure that people have to learn certain things and then that becomes the so-called information you rely on, use as a base. And if you don't use it, then they take your license or your registration, your certification, and they destroy you professionally. That's the system. So I like to make fun of it and mock it so that people understand that it's a complete fraud. Okay, that's enough. Let's uh, go ahead and get this show going. So I want to do a show today that's kind of a supplemental show to the entire interstate commerce section of Spooner's great essay, A Letter to Grover Cleveland, because we've been talking about it. I've showed you the way Spooner has broken it down. And I really want to give people a much better, much clearer idea of the way officialdom analyzes the so-called interstate commerce clause and gives people an idea of why this stuff is complete and total fantasy and that anyone who thinks that people agreed to this or ever could agree to this, that goes up and down and changes all the time and makes no damn sense and has basically turned all of our rights over to the government at the same time claiming it's a limited government, It's just no part of this ever makes any sense at all. None. Not the tiniest little bit. And in the last show, I was talking about the section of Spooner where he talks about this very famous language by Justice Marshall in Gibbons versus Ogden, which is the incredibly famous case. It's cited all the time. It wasn't just Spooner pulling it out of thin air. Any examination of interstate commerce. Just go look it up on the web and you'll see when you start talking about interstate commerce, one of the very first things they wheel out is the language we've been discussing in the essay from Gibbons. And that is Marshall's language that Spooner has shown to be a complete and total abuse, an impossibility, an outrage. The definitions are insane. And the thing that's so, so important, I think, in this section is the way the issue of what it means to regulate is completely and totally ignored. (laughs) Marshall stated what it means to so-called regulate 
which Spooner has shown is the most outrageous and ridiculous, abusive kind of so-called definition that simply hands over arbitrary authority to the government. It has nothing to do with regulating something where you try to bring it back into conformity with a natural principle like regulating your health, like regulating the speed of the locomotive, like regulating a compass so that it points north. Once you abandon that, you go into this arbitrary nonsense that Marshall asserted and, in fact, cited nothing in the Constitution, just simply states it as so-called law. And then it just gets cited again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And to make that point, I want to show you, if you go look up, and this is a, the actual constitution.congress.gov site, and if you look up what it means to regulate, this is what it says. The court has interpreted regulate in the Commerce Clause as Congress's power to prescribe conditions and rules for commercial transactions, keep channels of commerce open, and regulate prices and terms of sale. In Gibbons v. Ogden, Chief Justice Marshall discussed Congress's authority to regulate stating. And then it just goes on that they can just make this stuff up. Of course, that was... At some point, somewhat limited, but it's been expanded out massively. But you can see how there's no discussion of it outside of the fact that what the Supreme Court has said about it is simply assumed to be law that we all have to follow. And that's it. See, that's the fundamental construction of the system that screws us all when it comes to these courts. That they're the law and whatever they say is law and then we can only get a constitutional amendment to overturn it and everything else. It's utter shit. They just make something up and it's just not true. And then it somehow becomes a law. Nobody even votes on it. <laughs> even if I want to believe in voting, it's so dumb. But listen to what else they say here at the congress.gov website about to regulate. Similarly, in Brooks v. United States, the court explained regulate, observing Congress can certainly regulate interstate commerce to the extent of forbidding and punishing the use of such commerce as an agency to promote immorality, dishonesty, or the spread of any evil or harm to the people or other states from the state of origin. In doing this, it is merely exercising the police power for the benefit of the public within the field of interstate commerce. <laughs> you like that? There's no police power granted to the federal government. It specifically doesn't have that. But there you go. They just say it and then they expand it. And then that becomes the so-called law that everybody has to follow. You see, that's the way it actually works. And that's why none of this stuff can ever work. And that's why the vast majority of all of the discussion about what it means to regulate commerce has all been about what commerce is. And of course, that's been expanded out into a completely and totally preposterous range that basically means any and everything that goes on can be basically justified under interstate commerce. And that's why we have Wickard v. Filburn, where they're regulating the grain you grow on your own farm and feed your own animals as affecting interstate commerce and how you can have the water that flushes in your toilet be part of a regulation of interstate commerce. And when you look up at that same constitution.congress.gov website, what it means to have commerce, to regulate commerce, this is what they do. They give the exact same crap about Ogden and Gibbons. They say, while the etymology of the word commerce suggests merchandise or goods for sale was integral to its meaning, Chief Justice Marshall in Gibbons v. Ogden interpreted the Commerce Clause broadly. <laughs> you got that? 
Marshall further noted the understanding of the meaning of the Commerce Clause. The entire thing that the government sets out to tell you about it is basically all about Gibbons and Ogden explaining what Marshall said and acting as though somehow that has become the law. And it does. It has. <laughs> it's, it's completely and totally insane. It's just been expanded out. And here's a few of the examples they give. In Gibbons, Marshall qualified the word intercourse with the word commercial, thus retaining the element of monetary transactions. Initially, the court viewed activities covered by Congress's Interstate Commerce Clause power narrowly. Thus, the court held the Commerce Clause did not reach mining or manufacturing, regardless of whether the product moved in interstate commerce. You got that? So the court originally ruled that. But then over time, because the court can somehow reverse and expand itself, even though what it says is supposedly constitutional law, it makes no sense. And so when the people who so-called ratified it heard this and saw it, it was all somewhat carefully construed. And then it's just expanded out more and more and more once you have this concept that the Supreme Court rulings and opinions somehow become the law of the land. And that's what Marshall introduced. And that's what constitutional conservatives produce. So let's listen to some more of what the government says. The court held the Commerce Clause did not reach mining or manufacturing, regardless of whether the product moved in interstate commerce, didn't reach insurance transactions, crossing state lines, and baseball exhibitions between professional teams traveling from state to state. That's what it used to be. Similarly, the court held that the Commerce Clause did not apply to contracts to insert advertisements and periodicals in another state or to render personal services in another state. See, the court had held all those things were not part of interstate commerce. The Holy Supreme Court said they weren't. But guess what? It all just changed. Why? How? Because the court just writes another opinion, get another group of jokers on there and expands it out. And here's what the government says. Later decisions treated the Commerce Clause more expansively. <laughs> See, there's no explanation for how this could ever happen. There's no explanation. It's just simply assumed that this can happen, and this is how lawyers are trained, that you look at what the Supreme Court said. Well, anything the Supreme Court says, you can get to justify pretty much anything in any size, any shape. See? So listen to what else has happened. In 1945, the court held an Associated Press v. U.S. that a press association gathering and transmitting news to client newspapers was interstate commerce. Likewise, in 43, the court held an American Medical Association that activities of Group Health Association, Inc., were serve only its own members are trade and capable of becoming interstate commerce. The court also held insurance transactions between an insurer and insured in different states to be interstate commerce. Most importantly, the court held that manufacturing mining business transactions and the like, which occur antecedent or subsequent to a move across state lines, are a part of an integrated commercial whole and covered by the Commerce Clause. So they completely flipped themselves. <laughs> As such, Supreme Court case law on the meaning of commerce and interstate commerce covers movements of persons or things, whether for profit or not, across state lines, communications, transmissions of intelligence, whether for commercial purposes or otherwise, and commercial negotiations that involve transportation of persons or things or flows of services or power across state lines. This is what the government tells us. Listen to that. What is not included in that? Listen to how it's just completely turned upside down. It used to be one way, and now they just completely turn it. And that's no longer the case. <laughs> how does that work? How can this ever happen? 
See, how can this ever happen? How can that ever be the case that they can just change it? Right? And no discussion at all of what it means to regulate. None. Always just the assumption that Marshall's definition of to regulate, which we've seen, meaning simply to make up arbitrary rules, is the so-called definition that gets used. That's it. That's what it gets used as. I mean, once you have that definition in there, just as Spooner said, it's over. Of course, you can argue about commerce, but you can see there's no restriction. They can always expand it. And in fact, they contracted it for a certain period of time after they expanded it. They call that the Lochner era, L-O-C-H-N-E-R, Lochner era, based upon some case back in like the early 20th century. So it was, it was narrow, then it started to expand, then it expanded a lot, then it contracted, then it expanded again, now it contracts. How? The language in the document never changes. See, the language in the document never changes. So how is any of this possible? There's no question about any of this. If you think that you can have a system that people can agree to that just changes whenever the judges decide, well, then you don't understand what an agreement is. <laughs> you don't understand what an agreement is. Because there's no way to know what the agreement means. Nobody knows what interstate commerce is. Nobody knows what to regulate means. And if the court can just change it at whim, that's just totally arbitrary. See, it's totally arbitrary. There's nothing about this system that makes any sense at all and that believe that it's the greatest system ever and that this is somehow genius is just complete and total fantasy. See, just complete and total fantasy. And now I want to read from a little bit of this article from the Heritage Organization, because this is your classic con-con kind of publication. And this is the constant bullshit that you get from them. And there will be no discussion whatsoever of the problems that Spooner raises. And in fact, I'll link this article. I'll probably link the others I just referenced as well so people can find them. But you'll see how silly it is. And this is what they talk about. It's called Commerce, Commerce Everywhere, The Uses and Abuses of the Commerce Clause. I love the title alone, right? The abuses. How? I don't understand. How can the Commerce Clause be used to abuse us? How can you abuse the Commerce Clause? I thought any law repugnant to the Constitution was void, null and void. People love to cite that language from an early case that Marshall also said, which I think is Marbury versus Madison, and a completely and totally irrelevant kind of head fake. Listen to this article. Here's a little bit. Over the course of the last decades, the Commerce Clause has been used as a primary source for the regulatory expansion of the national government. This reading of the clause granting virtually unlimited regulatory power over the economy of the federal government came out of a series of Supreme Court decisions at the time of the New Deal. Yes, it did. Regulatory power. See how that's ignored? If people understood the Spooner definition, the actual definition, the one that makes the sense, not the arbitrary power to simply make up rules, people would be immediately able to see through this con. But they don't. But they don't. Because people like this, writing for the Heritage Organization, keep everybody totally and completely bamboozled. Listen. In its original meaning, the clause functioned primarily as a constraint upon state interference in interstate commerce. Of the nearly 1,400 pre-20th century Supreme Court cases concerning this clause, the overwhelming proportion arose from state legislation in recent years. Just like I was telling you, the whole fight is always between whether the state can abuse you or whether the federal government can abuse you. That's what it always comes down to. There's never any suggestion that neither can. 
Always one or the other can do it. It's just a question of which one's proper in the area. Which one of these tyrannical, insane systems is allowed to arbitrarily rule us? Is it the state or is it the federal? It's the lion and the jackal. Just like Spooner said in that earlier episode. <laughs> to this day, the debate over the extent of the commerce power centers on the definitions of to regulate commerce and among the several states. The narrowest definition of to regulate is to make regular. That is to facilitate the free flow of goods, but not accept in cases of danger to prohibit the flow of any good. Right? That's the kind of spoonery one. The Supreme Court has never accepted this narrow definition. From the beginning, Chief Justice Marshall and Gibbons v. Ogden saw the power to regulate as coextensive with other delegated powers of Congress. He declared, and then of course they go on and, and cite the Gibbons language as though that's it. <laughs> you got it? The manner in which Congress decides to regulate commerce, Marshall said, is completely at the discretion of Congress subject only to the political check of the voters. You got it? Heritage organization, this is what they do. They promote this complete and utter horseshit. See, there's nothing else to question. That's it. That's what to regulate means, even though it actually should just mean to, to bring back into conformity with a free flow. Nope, that's never been accepted. Why? Well, because Justice Marshall said so. And that's it. Did you not agree to that? Well, that's the law. That's constitutional law. The genius, they just skip right over how this is a fundamental problem. But they don't ever examine any of that because all they do is use the narrative. They just stay inside the over the window to keep people completely bamboozled. Listen to this kind of shit on pulling out the same article. In generally ascending order of breadth, various writers and justices define commerce as, now they're going to give us a list. See, we're already on to commerce. Literally, to regulate includes about one paragraph. They basically just state that it should just mean this other thing at one end. But since Marshall defined it broadly, that's it. It's over. There's no discussion about it. <laughs> As I said, we could have defined it. I could have been writing there. If I was the chief justice, it'd be incredibly narrow. But this whole thing's been rigged from the beginning, people. It's all been rigged from the beginning. Listen to these varying definitions of so-called commerce. The trafficking and trading of economic commodities. The trafficking and trading of economic commodities and the modes of their transportation. The trafficking and trading of any kind of commodity and the mode of its transportation. You like that? Any kind of commodity, not just economic commodities. The movement of anything or person and its mode of transportation. You like that definition of commerce? How about this one? Economic activity that substantially or causally impacts on the trafficking, trading, or transportation of commodities. <laughs> you like that? Substantially or causally impacts. <laughs> And this last one's hilarious. Any human activity or other phenomenon that has any ultimate impact on activities in more states than one. You've actually had a Supreme Court justice define commerce like that. That literally, it covers everything. They have the power to arbitrarily pass rules and laws about any human activity or other phenomenon that has any ultimate impact on activities in more states than one. And of course, that's exactly how it's used. And the only reason the definition wasn't given by Marshall that outrageously is because then the jig would have been off. See, they have to slow boil everybody. That's the only way these things work. You slow boil, and then after 20, 30 years, the generation's kind of gone. You bring another one up with some fucking made-up shit, and they start believing. 
And over time, it works. But listen to that unbelievable definition. Any human activity or other phenomenon that has any ultimate impact on activities in more states than one? I mean, what does that not include? Is this what the people gave to a limited government? (laughs) The power to arbitrarily dream that up with the only restraint being whatever kind of piss-ass vote you can get? (laughs) Do you see this? Do you see this? Then they go on and on about how it's been defined here among the states and constant reference to Gibbons v. Ogden, constant, over and over and over again. Then we come down to this crap. In 1935, Justice Benjamin Cardozo, who's a brilliant, brilliant justice, concurring in the unanimous opinion in Schechter, suggested a test that would allow the government to regulate local activities if they had approximate or foreseeable effect on interstate commerce. You like that? So it's local, but it has approximate or foreseeable effect on interstate commerce. (laughs) What does it take? Right? I don't understand. What does it take to understand the insanity that is going on here? Listen to some more of the stuff from this article. Even if the commerce power in and of itself cannot reach particular local activities, Congress may still be able to regulate them if to do so has an appropriate connection to commerce. And this is what Marshall had also said in another famous case, McCulloch v. Maryland, which is an earlier case where he's setting it out again. So these definitions are again all over the board. The famous language is this. Let the end be legitimate. Let it be within the scope of the Constitution and all means which are appropriate, which are plainly adapted to that end, which are not prohibited, but consist with the letter and spirit of the Constitution are constitutional. (laughs) That's Marshall's famous language in McCulloch v. Maryland. Think of how that can be abused. You got it? (laughs) Uh, It's so dumb that people think this can ever work. The thing has gone back and forth so many different ways. And then you have the Pike test. This Pike test is basically, again, this way the Supreme Court tries to decide whether or not the state law, which is fucking you over, is valid or whether it gets trumped by a federal law. And in trying to decide whether the states have the right to jack you or it's the federal, they have this test and they have these multi prongs and there's five prongs to it. Listen to this shit. The statue must have a legitimate and public purpose. It must be within the state's police power and not designed either to regulate interstate commerce as such or to discriminate against out-of-state economic interest in favor of private in-state interests. (laughs) You got it? Two, the effect on interstate commerce must be incidental rather than the primary purpose of the statute. Well, they can just say it's the purpose. They can just make a statement in the beginning, and then you have to accept it. Or great deference, show great deference to the finding of the, of the state legislature that did the law. They can just make this shit up. This stuff can mean anything. Number three, the interest must be local. It must regulate elements that are peculiar to the state, such as its harbors, and not impose a pattern of multiple inconsistent burdens with other states conflicting laws in an interstate enterprise. How the hell are you ever going to untangle any of this? Four, the statute must regulate even-handedly. The state must be regulating an activity as part of its police powers. If it's only a market participant, similar to a private enemy, the dormant commerce clause is not a bar to its economic decisions, even if they impact or discriminate against interstate commerce. 
though the privileges and immunities clause of Article 4 may be a constraint. <laughs> Moreover, if a state is, in fact, regulating even in the pursuit of a legitimate interest, the state may not discriminate against out-of-staters absent compelling reasons. Listen to all the shit that's in here. How could anybody ever think this is anything but an absurd control system? Hi, it's Legal Man. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you appreciate the unique insight and information I provide, then go over to my Patreon account for The Quash and become a member. I have bonus shows and material, early access, and it's a good place to meet like-minded people. I have people ask me all the time, what can we do, legal man? (laughs) Well, start by voting with your pocketbook. It's the only vote that really counts. Support things that tell people the truth. Getting people to understand the truth is the only solution we have to this insanity. Look, I get it. There are a lot of people who can't afford to support my show with money. But there are a lot of people who can. And if you can and you like the show, you should support it. That's what free markets look like. The people running this scam, they have unlimited funding. I don't have support of that system. In fact, I get harassed because I tell people the truth that they don't want the people to know. So we have to stick together. So go sign up. Now let's get back to the show. Listen to all the shit that's in here. How could anybody ever think this is anything but an absurd control system? Here's the last one. The statute must effectuate its local public interest. If there is little evidence of such a result, the court may infer that the interstate impact was intentional and hence unconstitutional after all. (laughs) If a state survives all of these criteria, it will be upheld unless the burden imposed on interstate commerce is clearly excessive in relation to the asserted local benefits. Got it? So you get another balancing test. You got all this different shit. If people don't understand that anything can be found to meet that test or not meet that test, that every kind of form and fashion of control and arbitrary design can be justified and explained away and hidden in these absurd opinions. If you can't see that, you're blind. You're just absolutely blind. And not one word of this is ever spoken by constitutional conservatives. All they ever tell you about is getting back to the Constitution, originalism. They don't explain all the problems with trying to say that. We have to get the right people on the court. There are no right people on the court. If there was a right person on the court, every single opinion would be exposing the entire fraud of the court itself. But those justices are never going to do that. They've made their entire careers out of being involved with the government at some level or another. Most of the time, they were district judges or professors and then became longtime appellate court judges. And then they were moved up to the Supreme Court. They're full-on state apologists. The idea you're going to get the right people in there is absurd. There are no right people in that court. And no court could ever claim to have the so-called authority this one does and be legitimate that their pronouncements are law, it's asinine. It's totally asinine for so many reasons. If you can't see how all over the board this interstate commerce shit is, you're just blind. You don't want to see. And if you can't see how blatant the complete fraud is of this system, you just don't want to see. You don't want to accept what's right in front of your face. You want to continue to believe in the beauty and the power and the fantastic arrangement and this is what the founders agreed to, blah, blah. I already showed you the shit goes back more than 200 years. These opinions, there's so many of them. Tons of the people who were around the Constitution were around when this crap was going on in the early 
19th century. I told you Jefferson knew. Everybody knew the Louisiana Purchase was laughably unconstitutional. They went and did it anyway. This country was a land scam from the get-go. That's all. And you slowly boil the pot. You get the government to slowly take over education. How many people know there were riots all over the Northeast during the late 19th century when they were starting to take over education and teach people's kids how to do shit and the state was taking control? Not the little schoolhouse where the local people had the teacher teaching what they wanted. No, nah, no, nah, state took control. There were riots about it. And now you've got it in family wall, the best interest, and the state gets to tell you what you can do with your kid and when you can see your kid and how you can see your kid. And then you can't see your kid and the state takes your kid. It's all the same, people. That civil war, it was over. They broke it, the system. They made it clear that anybody who resisted would simply be killed. They rounded up and killed. If you tried to resist in any numbers, they'd come down and burn you out. All in the name of holding the union together and all the glorious shit that supposedly takes place in our country. Then they got the fake money system. They got the Federal Reserve. They put us into wars that nobody knows anything about. They killed off God knows how many different people. Then they took the money and they structured all the different educational institutions. They created all these foundations to tax exempt this and tax exempt that. They took organizations. They bought all the media up. <laughs> they started requiring all this licensing and regulation and, and education and approval and certification. Certain degrees only from accredited schools. And if you didn't do it, you could lose your license. And they cleared out all the professors. And that was 100 years ago. And then they brought in World War II after the Depression where they screwed everybody. They brought all the additional legal stuff in. Then they changed the tax code. And they implemented the mandatory withholding. They rewrote the whole thing. They changed all the federal rules of civil procedure. <laughs> and they had that ridiculous war with the bullshit WW2 narrative. It's all crap. People, we fall on the side of the commies. Now people are surprised the commies are taking over. What the hell do they think's going on? <laughs> and now the history is all completely rewritten. If you speak up, you're shut down. Now they have electronic control. They've poisoned the people. They feed them poison. They poison the air. They poison the water. They do it all. They keep everybody in a tight box. And still the constitutional conservatives running around talking about the genius of the system and getting back to the original and the founders. They ignore the fact that so many of the so-called founders disagreed and the people who signed the Declaration of Independence and fought were a completely different set of people than the ones who signed the Constitution. And they ignore all the anti-federalists. They ignore all the basic shit and Shays' Rebellion. They ignore, ignore, ignore. They brainwash, brainwash, brainwash. And who is the most successful brainwashing group in the entire world? Constitutional conservatives. They have all the people who want freedom and liberty believing in this fantasy system that openly abuses them. Listen to constitutional conservatives. Listen to them. Listen to them in media. They endlessly defend the system as though the system itself is not the problem. Because they cannot be honest about it. They can't. Because the system itself is the problem. Of course the people are a problem. They're idiots. Complete morons at this point, but tons of them are massively brainwashed. Huge amounts of people who are constitutional conservatives. If they could understand Spooner, hear Spooner, and understand the message I've given, they'd get it. Well, they'd get it. That's why there's such a tight lock on it, because they know the people would get it. And then you could never, ever, ever fool those people again. And that's why it all has to be covered up. It all has to be covered up. And when you see something like Spooner, 
and his discussions of to regulate and how that error is the fundamental error in the analysis and how it's just completely skipped over. That there was a very narrow definition, but it was never accepted by the court. Marshall always, from the beginning, broadly interpreted it. Right, exactly. Well, nobody agreed to that. But now it's law. It's absolutely, completely unquestioned. There's no way you could ever question it. It's so completely dead set. And because Congress has passed all those laws that require the appellate courts to follow the Supreme Court law, they require the district courts to follow the appellate court law. They must follow it. Otherwise, they'll get booted out and reversed. And so these people with lifetime appointments making great money and having fantastically cush jobs, they're never going to rock the boat because that's where their bread is buttered. Even if they don't want to stay there, they want to roll out and go to some lobbying group or some kind of high-priced private firm and get paid fantastic amounts of money for their inside connections to this so-called justice system, they're still never going to rock the boat. They're never going to rock the boat. They're never going to tell the truth to the extent they even know the truth. And I'm completely convinced the vast majority don't know the truth. They don't know the truth. They're totally brainwashed, completely and totally brainwashed. It's all worked. It's all worked. And that's why when I look around and I see this stuff, it's like, well, it's worked. It's worked. And I already kind of knew it had worked, but I didn't realize that they could move it so rapidly until I saw COVID. And then they blew up my practice and it became obvious to me that they are going to put us into electronic prison in absolutely 2030 kind of time frame. And that's when I decided to make a show. And of course, I've made the show now, but it doesn't make any damn difference, except that I get to get it off my chest. And a lot of people uh, do get to learn the truth. And there's a lot of benefit to knowing the truth. There is. You can make better decisions if you know the truth, even if you can't affect the system. You won't waste time and you won't wake up in the wrong order and get burned. So, you know, it is what it is at this point, people. It really is. And... I hope people can hear my message and I hope that they can understand it and maybe they can spread it to some of their friends and give them a chance to because we have run out of time, I can assure you. (laughs) There's almost no time left. I'm busily making my own plans to try to create a life raft to get some kind of protection against the insanity that's about to rain down on us all. And I can 100% guarantee you that the people who are these constitutional conservatives will be telling me about the beauty and the miracle and the fantasticness of the document and the founders and their genius and the structure all the time that they're sitting in prison cells, not significantly different than the J6 people who still believe in the stupid shit of the Constitution, even though they're getting openly abused by it. They think somehow it's about these individuals. It's not the individuals, people. It's the structural nature of the system. It's the structural nature of the system. And I've made the point in so many different ways now, literally hundreds and hundreds of ways. And a lot of people, they just are never going to hear, don't want to hear, don't want to know, just want to live in a fantasy world. And those people are just totally and completely screwing their kids because we could still stop it at this point, theoretically, but the likelihood is so incredibly low because we just can't get it out there. And jury nullification could stop it because then you could just ignore all these laws. You wouldn't have to worry. You could ignore the laws and spread the word and do whatever you care to. But without jury nullification, there's no chance. They'll just come collect you with their government goons, put you in front of a kangaroo court and throw you into a cage. And the people will run around and tell you that you have to protect and serve and law and order and follow the rules. And without it, there'd be chaos and blah, 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 because the people are fools. They don't understand what they're up against. They've been so brainwashed by constitutional conservatism 
they literally have no idea what they're doing. None. No idea what they're up against or what they're talking about. And they actually end up being the worst kind of useful idiots for the state supporting the system. So, so that's it. That's all I'm going to say about today. I want to thank the people in Patreon who support my show. I appreciate you guys. I really do. You kick skin in the game, and that makes a difference to me. You know, I've taken a lot of chances making this show, telling people his truths. And I thank you for having the integrity to step up and understand that the information I've given you is incredibly valuable and really not available anywhere else. And if you want to, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Legal Man at US Crime Review to the extent I'm there. And to the extent anyone can see me, they've screwed that place so badly with lawful but awful and freedom of speech, not freedom of reach. And Elon Musk is a complete and total fraud. And anyone who continues to think that guy's a free speech absolutist is literally so drunk on constitution juice that they really can't think straight. They definitely should not be driving. And the movie, Jones Plantation, it's out. Go to jonesplantationfilm.com. Buy that movie. I play Mr. Jones. The movie's great. It's got a fantastic message. It tells people the truth about the way the system, the electoral system, and all the stupid crap works. And it doesn't have a bunch of woke stuff in it. And if the movie can get some traction and make some money, we'll make more. So I hope people go support that movie, jonesplantationfilm.com. Go buy it. Buy some merchandise. Get a gift card. Support that film. Thank you to anybody who does. And beyond that, I don't think there's anything else to say. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. You guys have been a great audience as usual. Everybody have a nice night or day wherever you are. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Put your hands together one more time.